Hi, my name's Terry Anderson. I spent most of my life on alcohol and drugs. I got put on probation. I went to jail in 1999. And because of a man's obedience, coming there and telling them men about the gospel, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 16 months later, I got out. I started coming to church here at Church on the Rock. And I loved it. I loved the worship. I loved the word. I came every Wednesday, every Sunday. But I wasn't really taking part of what was going on. And I ended up having some major struggles. I tried to handle them on my own and I ended up getting back on drugs worse than I'd ever been in my entire life. And I got sick. And in 2006, the doctors told me that I wouldn't live another five years. And I pretty much gave up and thought it was all over with, with no hope. But then I encountered God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. You know, and I started coming back to church. And this time I started going to Sunday school. I started going to the Connect classes. I got plugged in and started being a part of what was going on. I started going to Celebrate Recovery. And today I'm the ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery here at Church on the Rock. And I'm also doing recovery ministry in the Arkansas side jail on Sunday nights. And it's just been an amazing journey. And it all started because one man was being faithful to what God called him to do. And he came to that jail and told me about Jesus. And all I can say is, is thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Terry's is a story about amazing grace, that my life was in some way captivated, defined by what was evil in his case, drugs, alcohol, like many of us find these struggles, it was consuming his life, but somebody came in that jail and told him about the love of God, that God had a better way. I mean, know oh, that's amazing grace, and he wouldn't be where he is today were it not for that man that came to that jail to take some of his time and tell him about the love of God. Well, this new series I'm starting today, it's called Amazing Grace, Lost and Found. And it's certainly about the grace of God, the goodness of God that calls us to the right pathway. But more importantly, it's about the fact that God wants all of us to be like that person that reached out to Terry in that jail. You know, when you're sick physically, how many know you go to the doctor? Uh, my doctor's on Highway 67. I ride by his office all the time. I know where it is. I see cars going in there to him. Well, how many know doctors... Uh, work with physical diseases. But how many know, as a Christian, we work with spiritual diseases? There's a spiritual disease that's affected the whole human race. It's called sin. And the Lord doesn't want us just to say, come to church and deal with your problem. The Lord wants, doesn't want us to just hope our friends will come to us and talk about a spiritual solution. He wants us to go to them. He wants us to share the good news of Christ with people wherever we go. And that's what I want to talk about in this series. Uh, I want to give you something this morning, too, that's going to be very helpful and practical because I want to, in this series, I want to do my best to help you become comfortable with sharing your faith with other people. Now, I'm 60 years old. I've been a Christian 40 years. I've been a pastor 30-something years. But it's still a little bit difficult for me to talk to people about salvation. You know, you may not think it from where you sit, but particularly if it's one-on-one, particularly if it's friend or family members, it's just kind of hard to say, uh, if you died today, do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? But guess what? We can become that way because we could be God's rescuer helping people. Now, this little insert uh, that the uh, ushers gave you are on the way in, the Roman road to salvation, I want to give everyone one of these. I'll reference it later, but if you didn't get one when you came in, I want you to lift your hand, and uh, the ushers will give you one right now. But lift your hand. I want to give you one. I'm going to refer to it. But I want to begin in John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4, 
If you've ever heard of the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, uh, there was a woman that was, uh, she was a Jewish half-breed. She was away from God. There was the racism of their day was Samaritans and Jews. But Jesus went to her and began to talk with her while the disciples, I guess they'd gone to McDonald's and get everybody a happy meal, but they went to get lunch. And they came back, and uh, here's Jesus talking to this woman. Well, as the story unfolds, not only this woman appears, but there's a whole crowd of people from this city in Samaria. And that's when Jesus said these words. John 4, 35, Jesus said, Don't say that there's four months and then comes the harvest. Now, he's talking about people in agriculture. Um, I love to garden. Uh, in late April, I planted some sweet potatoes. Well, how many know if I planted them on April 30th, um, May 1st, I couldn't harvest them. I had to wait a period of time, about four or five months, before there were potatoes, and I dug them up this week, and it was like 25 gallons of sweet potatoes. But it's a period of time between seed time and harvest. And what Jesus is saying is he's looking out over this crowd of people. He say, hey, don't say it's four months off. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white to harvest. Now, the fields he's talking about, like wheat fields or barley fields, the white probably refers to the clothes these Samaritans were wearing, uh, their garments. So he said, here's these people, white clothing. And Jesus said, look at these people. And verse 36, he said, one uh, already the one who reaps, that is, helps a spiritually hungry people come, person come to Christ. Because that's what this passage is about. It's not about agriculture. It's about people that are in need of God, people that are hungry for God. He says, one reaps who's receiving wages and gathering fruit for what? Eternal life. If I dig that sweet potato, when I cut it up, it's over and it's gone. But when you share your faith in Christ with another person, when you give money, for example, in the globe, and, and, and they, we buy a Bible, and someone comes to Christ through that Bible... We had one of our leaders in uh, last night's service. She said, when I was eating pizza a number of years ago in a pizza restaurant, a 13-year-old girl uh, came by my table, didn't know me, but gave me a gospel tract. And later on, I read that and committed my life to Christ. You never know what impact you make when you do something small or something large, whether it's on the route for salvation, in sowing, or whether you're actually sharing your faith with someone. But that's what Jesus said. When I think about fields white to harvest, if I could share this with you, um, obviously a, a field of cotton and an international cotton picker, but one of my fondest memories, I was raised on a farm, and when I was 19, my dad was picking cotton, and it was a particularly really good field of cotton. It's locked in my mind. It was before cell phones, but that cotton was about high, that high. It was bearing a couple uh, acres, uh, I mean a couple bales to the acre. Back then, that was really good. But my father would get up almost daylight, and he would be out in that cotton field as long as he could. And if it was cloudy and it was no dew, he might even be out there till 10 o'clock at night picking cotton. And I thought, Dad, come on now. It's 5 o'clock. I mean, what's going on here? But he knew that if the rains were to come and that cotton fell to the ground or if the winds would begin to blow through, they had two hurricanes this past year come through their crops just before they were able to harvest them. He knew if a strong wind came and that cotton fell on the ground, it would be lost forever. And the picture, the reason I say that is because human beings, people that you meet, people that you know, people on the ball team, people in the classroom, people in the neighborhood, people across from your table when you eat, your family, your friends, people in the classroom, everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. 
And you and I have a chance to literally rescue people and help them find the pathway to heaven. So that's what I'm talking about this morning. The title of this morning's message is Rescuers, but the series is Amazing Grace, Lost and Found. Now, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, his name was John Newton. And I want to tell you a little bit about this man. We all know the song. It is the most popular hymn, Christian hymn in the world. Uh, virtually every funeral I've ever gone to, I've heard of it. But I want to tell you a little bit about his story. He was born in the early 1700s. He had a Christian mother. She taught him the Bible. But sadly, she died when he was seven years old of tuberculosis. His dad was not a believer. He became very worldly. He probably got angry at God because mom died. I mean, it's hard to understand how a good God can allow bad things to happen. But it's in the world. Adam and Eve gave it to us. But this little boy started away from God. He became very worldly. At age 11, now think about that, he started a career at sea. In other words, he wanted to be a sailor. Later on in life, he joined the British Navy. Uh, He rebelled. He deserted. They caught him, put him in irons, flogged him. And to get out of that tough spot, he said, would you let me work on a slave ship? Don't you think about that? Nothing that I can think of is more despicable than someone who's involved in an industry of taking human beings from parts of Africa and bringing them across the world in the slave trade. Well, that's what he did. He went on to describe himself uh, as a free thinker, which means I pretty much do whatever I want to do. Nobody tells me what to do. Very arrogant, insubordinate. And it was said he lived with moral abandon. This is what his biography says. He said, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to, to, to tempt and seduce people. In other words, he was worldly. He was the Harvey Weinstein of his day. He was someone who was out there in the world. He was pulling other people into it. He was, had some degree probably of cockiness and arrogance, but he was a lost person. But as most of us who were lost come to Christ, it was in the mid-1700s, the slave ship he was on encountered a huge storm. And it was a storm when water was breaking on. They didn't know if they would live or die. But isn't it interesting? He had been reading a book. There was an emptiness in his life. Thomas Akempis' book called The Imitation of Christ. And that ancient book... Oh, hang on here. I almost messed my iPad up. That ancient book had a a story in it uh, from Thomas Akempis. Now I lost my place. And the phrase was this. It was about the uncertain continuance of life. In other words, he's on the ship. He didn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die. And then he also said, I recalled a passage from Proverbs my mom taught me. And that proverb said, because I've called you, God's saying, I called you, but you refused. I'm going to laugh at your calamity. So here's a guy on this ship under great conviction. He finally commits his life to Christ. He converts during this hardship, as many of us do. But then rather than getting out of the slave trade, he stayed in it a while thinking that he could kind of change it from within. He would show kindness to the slaves. He would make sure that the crew would be nice. But many times in the world, you can't change it. It'll change you. So finally, he began to pursue his Christian life. And both the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield encouraged him to get away from the slave trade, which he did. He quit it, and then he became an Anglican minister. Now think about this. A young wayward child who knew about God, rejected God till his late teenage, early 20s. Now he becomes a Christian. Now he's a Christian minister. And then he writes this song, Amazing Grace. But it didn't stop there. He was influenced by a man named William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce was being mentored by John Newton. And guess who virtually was responsible for stopping the slave trade in the British Empire? It was William Wilberforce. 
and he was influenced by this man who was a converted former slave trader. And I like this in his biography, and I'll close with this. He said, when he was getting old and feeble, hard to get around, Newton was, was encouraged to retire. Here's what he said, I cannot stop. Shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak? In other words, here's a man, though he was old, realized that his life had headed in the wrong direction, and now he wanted to do everything he could to influence as many people as he could for Christ. Now, I want to go over the words of that song, Amazing Grace. I, I was going to sing it, but my wife and Zach made fun of me, so I decided not to. <laughs> but Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Grace is God's kindness to the undeserving. And I don't know about you, but when God saved me, I was pretty far away from God. I, I was not a preacher in a suit, you know, sitting on a chair. Come on now. I had a bottle of beer and I was smoking and I was, I mean, I was living away from God. But yet God's goodness, God's kindness came to me. Psalm 86 verse 1, this idea of a wretch. Bend your ear, God, and answer me. I'm a miserable wretch, which means I'm worthless, despicable, and vile. He was a slave trader. And then he said these words. He said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That word lost, it means to be away from God. All people are born in that condition. When Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they left relationship with God and were kind of wandering on our own away from God. But the wonderful news in Scripture, Luke 19, it says, Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus is looking for us when we're lost. When I look back over my own life, I, I was 19 years of age. If you looked at me from the outside, you'd have thought everything was perfect. I was 19. I had this, I had this really long Afro hairdo. That was back in back then. I had a lots of hair. Don't, I don't know what you're thinking now. But, I, you know, I was in college on a scholarship. I was playing ball, uh, girlfriends, dates, beer, all the stuff that went along with a nice car but inside, when I was, think about this, 19 years of age, everything is cool, partying every night, working on the farm with my dad, driving the tractor, and here I am with everything going for me, and I'm crying in the middle of the day. Not because I was having some kind of psychotic breakdown. I was being convicted of my sin and didn't even know it. I was being shown the emptiness of my life. I was being shown that all the things I was going after, sports and girls and, and pleasure and relationships and all that, it just is like pouring it in a bucket with a hole in it. And then lo and behold, when I joined the Navy to get away from my problems, guess who I met me before I got on the airplane to go to boot camp? It was a Gideon. Well, that Gideon was not there accidentally, but God was seeking after me. God was looking for me because he knew one day I'd be standing here in this church, and God was seeking for me through a Gideon who was available to share his faith with me, and it changed my life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Now, I went to church as a kid, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? It's a relationship with God. And then John Newton said, I was blind, but now I see. Spiritual blindness means to be unaware and unconcerned about Jesus, unconcerned about spiritual matters, blindness. People in the world, sometimes when you look at them and say, my God, how can they be like that? How can they do the things that they're doing? How could I do what I used to do? Blindness. So you're not following God just because it made sense to you one day because you were, you know, so weak, you had nothing else to do. God began to tug on your heart, and you and I said yes. You look at people in the world today, it's almost like everybody's fighting in America. 
I mean, we're fighting over whether we kneel at the flag or, or whether we stand. We're fighting over racial issues. We're fighting over sexual issues. We're fighting over everything. But I want to encourage you. I, I read this morning, if I could digress just a moment, a very interesting article. It was about a Christian scientist. He was educated at a Christian university, but he became a higher up in the, uh, the University of California system. And he was doing a dinosaur dig, and he began to study the bones that he was finding. He found what was called soft tissue in these bones, which implied that these bones were not as old as the millions or billions of years that fit with the scheme of evolution, but these bones and the age of these bones implied a young earth. Well, they couldn't let him publish that because that totally undermines evolution. See, evolution takes the place of God as creator. So his company, his, his, his school system, they fired him. And then, of course, he had a lawsuit. But I bring that point up because the people that fired him were so antagonistic against him when he was trying to talk about God as the creator and God as the way. They fired him, but somehow these people are blinded and cannot see. But when Christ reveals himself to us, let me read a scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.14 the people's minds were hardened. To this day, whenever the Old Testament is read, the same veil covers their minds and they cannot understand truth. And I hope you and I have compassion for people that are away from God that are doing crazy, vile things, late-night comedians that are making fun of the Christian faith, uh, professors in classrooms that belittle your faith. I hope you and I will take time to pray for them that God would open their eyes because a veil is covering their eyes. Notice what it said, this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, what's it say? The veil is taken away. It's a spiritual thing. He said, I once was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. I don't know when John Newton heard that, but I know I did as a boy. My Sunday school teacher taught me John 3.16. For God so loved the world, come on, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want to suggest to you, friends, the world is filled with John Newtons waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. Now I want to shift a little bit, and I want to talk about the idea of rescue. But I want to show you a quick little video from this, the, uh, the movie Fireproof about rescuers. And I want to draw a parallel between what you and I as Christians do for people that don't know Christ to what the firemen did. Take a peek here. You all to stay clear of the tracks and the vehicles. Name on Captain Hope from the Albany Fire Department. We're here to help you. Help me, help me, please. I can't get out. Where are you hurting? My, my legs are hurting. All right, we're going to help you. Okay, where else are you hurting? My, my neck is hurting. Please, please help. Listen, we're going to get you out of here. You're going to be just fine, all right? Please don't leave me. Please don't leave. Please don't let me die. I promise you, I am not going to leave you. You're going to be all right. Captain, she's alive but not responding. Get the spreaders, sir. Hey, Captain, those two will be okay. They've got minor injuries. All right, we're going to have to cut these two out. Sanders, help Harmon with the Hearst equipment. I need you to check for gas. Yes, sir. Ma'am, we've got an ambulance coming. I'm going to stay right here with you. Okay. In a moment, you're going to hear a very loud noise. That just means we're getting you out okay. faster. Okay. All right? You're going to be all right. Okay. One, two, three.
don't stop. <laughs> I would just think about those firemen just a minute. How many know those girls were helpless? Two of them were, one or two of them were knocked out. They were unconscious. One of them was trapped in the car and she couldn't get out. Unless somebody deliberately came to rescue them, that train would have destroyed their life. And I know you can see the par spiritual parallels. How I many you know when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by the Son? How I many you know you and I are the in-between link? We're like the person you heard Terry in the video earlier. We're that person who goes to the jail. We're that person who goes to a neighbor or a friend. But what would it have been like if during the, during the, the rescue scene when the firemen were at the firehouse and they got the first call and said there's been a car accident? Now, I want you to imagine one of them has been cooking. Maybe he's been smoking ribs and, and cooking pork chops now for a long time, and that aroma has been in the building, and they have been there all morning waiting to eat. I'm talking about sweet potatoes. I'm talking about black-eyed peas and Cracker Barrel cornbread. I'm talking about good food. And there's a call that says, hey, there's a rescue that's needed. Somebody just had a car accident. Tell them we'll be there in a little bit time to eat. Maybe that's a picture of you. I know it's a picture of me sometimes. In my life, I'm so busy. I'm going from here to here and here to here, and i got to get out of the grocery store because i got to go to the cleaners, and then i got to go pick up Rebecca, and I want to go home, and I'm going to work in my garden, and people are coming by all the time. Come on. How many know if you're in the hospital, you're, you're, you're somewhat aware. If, if the doctor tells you you're in the last stages of pancreatic cancer, there's no hope. We're going to call in hospice. You're aware that the end is facing you. You're aware that the train is coming and you're on the tracks. But you could be sitting in the deer stand. You could be shopping to sale at Dillard's. You could be, go, you could be going to Chick-fil-A. Well, yesterday you could have gone to Chick-fil-A, not today. But, but you, or you could be going to Cracker Barrel and not know that the end is around the corner. You see, there's people in our lives all the time. We see them in our neighborhoods. We see them in our offices. And there's just that little sense. There's just that little feeling of talk to them. I had one not too long ago, uh, a, a house that I go by virtually every day when I leave my home. And, 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 and I saw this house and I could tell it was not kept well, that something was wrong, something was going on. And my first natural inclination was to say, why don't they just cut their grass? You know, why don't they just, I mean, the, the phone books are piled up in the papers. And finally, dummy me, the Lord finally got through. They're probably depressed. Something's probably going on in their life. Would you just stop by and talk to them? And I want to tell you, I'm the preacher now, but it was hard for me to stop and talk to them because I gave myself every excuse. What if they're not home? What if they won't listen to me? What if they tell me it's none of my blank business? But I just decided I'd be obedient to that little voice. Come on, you hear it too if you're a Christian. I decided to be a bit. Knocked on the door, and lo and behold, it was someone that was depressed, someone that was thinking about taking their life. Life was not offering a lot of hope to them. And they were already a Christian, but I was able to pray for them and encourage them and help them, come on, get back on that road to life. Well, see, people are around us all the time that need to be rescued. Let me read you a verse. I think it's the great verse of the morning. Uh, Romans 10, verse 13 it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. saved. My question is, saved from what? See, we use this vernacular as Christians all the time, but it's talking about a salvation on judgment day. I promise you, you will not hear this on, on Jimmy Kimmel. You will not hear this on Fox News or CNN. You will not hear this in the script of modern movies. You will not hear it on Will and Grace. You will not hear it on Modern Family. One day you and I are going to stand before a holy God and give an account for our life.
The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. All we hear is separation of church and state. Don't talk about religion anymore. Get rid of the old crosses, wherever they may be. If they're on emblems, if they're a World War I monument. Just this past week, a judge ruled, I think it was a panel of judges ruled in a circuit court. That cross had to come down 90 years ago. Our culture is saying, forget all this stuff. But I'm telling you, friends, let this man remind you today that the Bible says one day we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our life. And my friends, there's only one way to escape that day of judgment, one way to be saved. And that's through believing in Jesus Christ, receiving his forgiveness and following him. Now, verse 14, here's the big verse. But he says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless... Punch your neighbor and say, you're that someone. You and I are that someone. Those girls on that train track were facing certain death unless someone saved them. You and I are like that fireman reaching out for people. Because the greatest greatest responsibility that you and I have as Christians is embodied in what Jesus was referred to as the Great Commission. When in Mark 16, Jesus said, go into all the world... And proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news to all of creation. And I tell you, friends, this is why the church exists. We're not here just to help people have a better life. Come on, we're here to populate heaven. We're here to make sure as few people as possible go to hell from Texarkana, USA. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand today. Let me ask you this question just a moment about priorities because I, I suggest to, to you that you and I are living in a world where we're in constant pursuit of trophies. I don't just mean trophies on the wall. There's other kinds. But let me illustrate it just a little bit because how many know in the real world, not everybody gets a trophy. It's the person that gets the biggest, the best, the fastest, the strongest, the most. Here's a couple, a couple of cool trophies. I don't know what you think about that big chicken there, but that's a, that's a big turkey. That's a trophy bird right there. Should have been my picture up there. Maybe we can Photoshop that next time. How about that? That's a big fish. He's so big, I thought he was going to flop his tail on me in the first service. So I had to get away. Well, uh, listen, how about that deer hunter? That's a, big, that's a big trophy deer. Sports. I think that's the MVP. That's the uh, 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 Chicago Cubs last year in the World Series. But trophies are not just for athletics and hunting and fishing. How many know uh, you can get tro- uh, trophies for shopping? Sure, you can. How many shopped the Dillard's fire sale a couple days ago? Anybody get out there? I, I got a $700 suit for $130. That's a trophy suit. How about on your wall, what you've been working at for years of your life? The degrees, the letters behind your name. How about the plaques, the certificates of appreciation? How about the recognition in our professional services that we're a part of? Whatever we do, I guarantee you, whoever makes the most tires on a shift at Cooper Tire has been recognized. I guarantee you, whatever we do in our life and that we are known in the business, if you're in the business world and, and, and you're looking for a contractor, if you're looking for someone to do work, you ask for references, you ask for people, and the one that gets the highest reputation, come on now, of integrity and quality and price, they're the ones you're going to call. All these are trophies in life. But none of them are eternal. When I die, I can't take my deer horns with me. I can't take my, well, I might take my turkey thing with me. But you can't take any of that with you. They might bury me in that blue suit. 
but I can't take it with me. You don't find any U-Hauls behind hearses. The only thing that you and I can take to heaven, friends, is what we've done to influence people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why I want to encourage you this morning, that you and I are on God's rescue mission. Uh, Acts, Acts 16, let's head towards a close. This great question, what must I do to, to be saved? Acts 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas had been sharing their faith. There was a woman that was, had a, 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 an evil spirit that helped her be a fortune teller. And they helped that girl get free and delivered, but the people got mad at him, threw him in jail. So it's midnight in a jail. Now, how many know at midnight in jail, and you're chained to the wall, most people are not praying and singing hymns. Most people are cursing. Most people are saying, get me out of here. Most people are saying, I didn't do it. But here you've got two men of God that were on a mission from God, and they have a captive audience, and they're worshiping the Lord at midnight. Well, not only were prisoners listening, and that's very important, but there's a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken. You see, God was listening. And this tough Roman jailer. Now, I, listen, friend, if you want somebody that's, that's, got, that's just ugly and dirty, I guarantee you it's this Roman jailer. I guarantee you his fingers are crusted. I guarantee he's got dirt in his toes, and I guarantee you he's a big guy. Well, he heard it as well. And when he saw that the prison doors were open, he assumed the prisoners escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. You see, that was the requirement of a Roman soldier, a centurion. If you let a prisoner go, you had to kill yourself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, we're all here. And the jailer fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, listen to this, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be freed from my sins? What must I do for forgiveness? What must I do to get what you have? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God will free you. So what would you tell someone if they were to ask you the question, how do I go to heaven? My daddy, I just came from a funeral and it's made me think of my own spiritual life. What do I have to do to go to heaven? I heard somebody say on the television or radio that, that Jesus could save me. What do I need to do? Let me help you. That's what this series is going to be about for the next couple weeks. Next week, I'm going to talk about what we do. We got, I have to do the right things before I can say it. We'll talk about our character and a lack of hypocrisy. The following week, I'm going to be very, very practical to teach you how to lead someone to Christ. But that's what this little bookmark or little insert is for. If someone were to say it's called the Roman Roads of, to Salvation because it's all scriptures from the book of Romans, I would keep this and I would think about it because the greatest trophy that you could ever take with you to heaven is to lead a person to Christ. First thing that everybody needs to know is, is we've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all come short of God's glory. See, when Adam and Eve walked us out of the Garden of Eden, this was the trouble that came to us. And the tragedy is sin matters because the wages of sin is death. You don't think Hollywood's becoming aware of that now when the rape and the molestation and all that's being involved is being exposed now? They're aware that sin has consequences, but it's not just physical death. It's not just Harvey going to the, uh, to the addiction clinic. It's not just losing your job or going to jail. There's a judgment that ultimately follows on judgment day, but it doesn't stop there. Romans 6, 23, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have read this with countless people over my life as a Christian. God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nobody has to hold their head in shame. John Newton, 
who worked on a slave ship, who heard little kids begging to let their daddy come back to them. And they set out to sea. That man, my friend, was able to be forgiven by God. God didn't approve of what he'd done wrong, but God loved him enough to forgive him in spite of it. Romans 10, 9 and 10, about our trust and surrender to Jesus. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Goes, I, I even added Romans 2, 4. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. You see, you can't just shake the preacher's hand and get to heaven. It's more than just saying the right words at an altar call. It's giving your heart to Christ. It must be willing to turn your back on the world and follow Jesus Christ as your Savior to be born again. My friend, if you and I held the, the cure to cancer and it was in a little, it was in a, a little pill bottle and every time, if you, if you were, I don't know, if you were some chemist or some scientist and you had the cure to cancer and, and, and for whatever reason it was not available to the world, but every person that you knew that had cancer, you could take out your little tablet and you could just give them one, whether it was lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, and their cancer cells would immediately die. I guarantee you something would be wrong. Society would condemn you if you kept it to yourself. My friends, we would get up in the morning, fill up the box, and everywhere we would went, we would look for people with the big C, and we'd help them, wouldn't we? That is the exact same thing that you and I have. We have the words and knowledge of eternal life. And I'm going to help you over the next couple of weeks to make it easier to share this. But I want to close with this because the story, because we may never know the impact our witness has. I'm certainly talking about sharing your personal faith, but I'm also talking about acts of kindness along the way. I'm talking about money that may, you may give in a globe when we buy a Bible. And someone in the Muslim land, actually I spoke to a missionary this week. And I said, our Bible globe's gotten full. We got several thousand dollars. Do you have a need? He said, at Christmas, I'm giving away Bibles. So we're going to put in the hands of whatever $3,000 we'll buy from Muslim Bibles. We're going to get a truckload of Bibles and take them over there. Yeah. Well, maybe you've just joined me and every week you put in a dollar or so. You never know what that act of kindness is going to do. Yep. Now, let me share a story with you. Does anyone know who this is? Yeah, it's Billy Graham. How, how many people here have actually heard of Billy Graham's sermon or seen him on TV? Wait, wave your hand at me. Yeah, look around the room. Probably 65% of us. I guarantee you, you that lifted your hand were over 40. Pretty close to it. Let me tell you that are young who Billy Graham was or is. He's 99 now. Uh, as of 2008, it's believed that approximately 2.2 billion people that's about a third of the planet have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. That's crusades, crusades, it's radio, it's television. Billy Graham shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. But do you know who shared the gospel with him? Let's look at this other picture as we head to the close. I want you to see a little story. Now I'm going to call them spiritual dominoes that goes back over a hundred years. Listen to the story. It starts out with a volunteer Sunday school teacher. 1854, a 17-year-old boy was working in a shoe shop in Detroit. He didn't know Christ. He had no interest in religion. But thankfully, his mom had forced him to go to Sunday school. Way to go, Mom. If your kids don't want to go to youth camp, way to get them there. But he got the kid in Sunday school. So he's with this guy that works in a shoe store in Sunday school. Well, one day the Sunday school teacher goes to the shoe shop where the boy was working and said, Hey, I'm worried about you. I want to talk. See, this is how easy it is to share your faith. Here's a little phrase, and I'll teach it to you in a couple weeks. 
Whenever you want to get the conversation around to spiritual things, just say something like this. Hey, I want to ask you a serious question. It's something that I hope will never happen, but we both know it will. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? It doesn't become any clearer than that. Well, here's this guy, this Sunday school teacher, gets the boy in the basement, starts talking about Christ, and he leads this young boy to Christ. The Sunday school teacher's name, first guy on the left, Edward Kimball. And the boy's name was Dwight L. Moody, second face. D.L. Moody went on to become one of the greatest evangelists in the world. He shared the gospel with a hundred million people. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God. Third one, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day, a professional ball player, you know what his name was? Billy Sunday. That's the fourth guy, upper right. He's playing ball, and all of a sudden, he was aware of that God-shaped hole in his heart. He had a day off. He attended one of Chapman's meetings and was converted to Christ. He quit baseball. He became part of Chapman's team. Well, then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted. His name, Mordecai Ham. Well, guess where he showed up? Charlottesville, North Carolina. And there was a 16-year-old boy there. His name was Billy. Billy didn't know Christ. He was sowing his wild oats. And he and his friend were hanging out when they thought, let's go into this tent and hear what this wacko has to say. Well, how many know the Holy Spirit can turn someone that thinks about a wacko and he can turn their life around? He can take a John Newton and turn him from a slave trader into a preacher of the gospel. Well, so they go inside the building. They couldn't find any seats. And then Billy said, let's get out of here. But as they turned to leave, an usher saw them. Nobody knows his name. An usher saw them and said, hey, guys. And he put his big arms around their shoulders and said, we're glad you're here. Let me take you to a seat. So the usher took them to a seat, and the rest is history. Billy Graham found Jesus that night, and he went on to take Jesus to the whole world. That usher may never have known how God was using him that night through this simple yet faithful service. Billy Graham, the evangelist, preached to more people than any person who's ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. Think about it. Sunday school teachers, ushers, preachers, working together like the firemen on that truck to rescue people. Now, I don't know if this is for certain, but I think it's probably something we can speculate. Imagine this usher had a bad day. Imagine this usher like you and I had to work late. He knew he had church to do that night, but he thought, I think I'm just going to call in sick. There's a good movie at home. The last game of the series is coming up. I just want to stay home and watch it. Come on, we've all been there. But he just decided to go, and he had no idea whatsoever that there was a sovereign God working behind the scenes to turn this young boy's heart for Christ. And all he had to do was put his arm around him. Come, probably want to thump their ears. But all he had to do is put his arms around him, and the next thing he knew, God took over, and the world has never been the same. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? And before we go out today, you're going to leave this building in just a few moments and go back to life. But I wonder, what has the Holy Spirit spoken to you about this morning? Could you bow your head just a moment and just say, okay, Lord, and I'm speaking to the Christian now. What are you saying to me in this? 
I don't know about you, friends, but I want to I get in the game. I, I don't want to stay in the firehouse any longer. I don't want to just use the smell of pork chops and ribs as an excuse when there's a little girl on the train tracks. I don't want to say it's somebody else's job. I want to do my part. And my part might be as, as, as courageous is saying, hey, let me ask you a question. It's a very serious question. But if you died today, you're 100% sure you'd go to heaven. My part may be something as simple as what I share on Facebook. My part may be something like praying for someone. My son comes up to me and tells me he's being bullied at school. Certainly, I want to protect my son, but maybe that bully doesn't have a daddy in his life. Maybe what that bully needs is, is Jesus to open his eyes. Could we just come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to give you my life afresh today. And I want my life to make a difference. I, I don't want to go to heaven with trophies of this earth. I want to go to heaven with trophies how I've affected the salvation of many souls for Christ. Would you help me in this, Lord? Help me overcome my fear. Help me overcome my selfishness. Help me to be like that usher, that Sunday school teacher, that preacher who shared the gospel with Billy Graham. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, let's close this way. We're going to have our prayer team come to the front in just a moment. They'll pray with you if you have a need in your life. But most importantly, I want to pray for you that are here today that may not know Christ. And let me first ask this question. Are you here? How many are here today and say, Pastor, I am 100% sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Raise your hand at me, right? I am 100% sure. Now, for just two minutes, I want to ask you this question. If you couldn't raise your hand for whatever reason. Now, look, I was raised in church, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church is a deliberate time when you have, by choice of your will, chosen to receive Christ as your Savior. By reaching out to Jesus, committing your life to Him as your Lord and Savior, receiving His offer of eternal life is a deliberate step. It's a step that if you can imagine if the cross is turning to God and all your life you've lived going this way, and then something is pulling you back. Well, that something may be happening today, and it may be the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart saying, get right with God today. My friends, if you're here this morning, we'd be honored to pray with you. If you need to get your life right with God, if you need to get on God's side, if you're ready for a spiritual change, let us pray for you this morning. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. Say, pray for me, Pastor, this morning. If you're here today, I want to commit my life to Christ. I don't want to leave this place today uncertain that if I died, I'd go to heaven or hell. Listen, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the front right now. And if you want prayer for anything, you come let them pray for you. Most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, we'll meet you at this altar. I love you. We'll sing this song, and I'll see you, Lord willing, next week.